Welcome to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast, located inside the School of Health and Human Sciences at IUPUI in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Travis Smith, a proud sport management alum, adjunct faculty member, and associate editor of the Sports Innovation Journal here at IUPUI. On this podcast, we look to highlight the innovative practitioners and scholars in sports to learn and design Think the Future of the Industry together. Thanks for listening to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. I am Travis Smith, and today we are having another research feature. And this article that you can find on the Sports Innovation Journal is Student Athlete Development and Winning Success, an Analysis of Director's Cup Standings. I'm going to have our researchers and practitioners uh, also introduce themselves uh, one by one uh, that's joined with me today. Hi, thanks for having us. I'm really excited. I'm Sarah Stokowski. I am an assistant professor in sport leadership in the Department of Educational and Organizational Leadership Development at Clemson University. Um, My research interest, I study college athlete development, specializing in the personal development literacies, which we will be discussing more today. I am Amanda Polykova. I am a professor at Bowling Green State University in the School of Human Movement, Sport, and Leisure Studies. And my research interests also are in the athlete development space. And specifically, I have looked a lot at um, academic issues such as academic clustering, um, as well as student athlete services and how athletes have interacted with those practitioners. And I've looked at just a variety of different current event topic and issues that come up given that collegiate sport is an ever-changing landscape. And I'm uh, Alex Auerbach. I'm the Director of Clinical and Sports Psychology Services at the University of Arizona. Uh, And I work on the applied side or practitioner side of this equation, supporting our student athletes. And Alex, I understand you just got a grant for uh, something you're uh, starting up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the PAC-12 um, has designed some student-athlete health and well-being grants, and University of Arizona was fortunate enough to win the Mental Health Coordinating Unit grant, um, co-investigated by myself and Dr. Daniel Taylor out of the psychology department. And we're working on putting together sort of the gold standard of pre-participation screening for intercollegiate athletics um, with the hopes of being able to better identify and then hopefully prevent or intervene more effectively with our student athletes um, suffering with mental health conditions or experiencing sort of early onset things, um, which are very common in this age group. So we're excited to be working with the entire conference. It'll get rolled out over the next three years um, with the hope to better understand and then support and serve our student athletes. Wow, that's great. So well, congratulations on uh, the grant and good luck with, with that. Um, and then a uh, Amanda and Sarah, you all have created your own journal, uh, correct? Now, what's, uh, what, what's that journal been like so far? And then what is it called so that we can get the audience to uh, kind of uh, start listening to that or reading that? Our journal is the Journal of Athlete Development and Experience. We call it JADE. Um, and what we focus on is being very similar to, I think, the Sports Innovation Journal, that we want it to be readable 
for everyone, not just academics. So we do have, um, I guess, a pro-academic, the practitioner and academic focus. We want it to be very, um, we want it to, to be open access so anyone can access it. They don't have to have a university library subscription. And it's been incredibly well received. We've gotten submissions from literally around the world, you know, and we are looking at athlete development, not just at the collegiate level, but from youth sport all the way up through professional athletics. And it's been really interesting to see all the different ways that um, researchers and practitioners have kind of partnered in trying to help make the landscape for athletes better across the board and learning maybe from each other and best practices that we can implement just to make it a better world for them one little research article at a time yeah and what strikes me about that is kind of segueing into our paper or your paper that we're going to talk about today is how this paper is really geared towards uh the the leadership of the administration uh with their hiring practices and kind of strategic hiring practices so we'll just jump into that uh the paper once again it's linked here in the podcast notes but it's Student Athlete Development and Winning Success and Analysis of Director's Cup Standings. So can you, you use the athletic development literacy model. Can someone explain what that model is and then why you chose uh, to kind of use that in this paper? Um, I think it's really important to kind of provide a background to how we came to this paper and kind of looking at, uh, at this. So I teach an athlete development class and I had an athlete actually after class that came into my office. Um, this athlete is an All-American, this athlete is an NCAA champion, and this athlete came in my office and said, Dr. S, I want a physical therapist. What can you do to help me get a physical therapist? Is there any research that you can do that I can bring to our athletic director so we can get a physical therapist in-house? And I thought that this student athlete's comments were really interesting because it was pretty clear that the students want resources. They want to know what they can do to be successful. They want to know what's available to them. And so I kind of started brainstorming of, wow, like how can athlete development help with winning success? Because so often we think of athlete development as kind of, you know, oh, those are the people that just nurture the athletes, right? Those are the babysitters. Um, and we don't really think about how these people can really impact team performance and individual performance. And so I kind of sat there at my desk and just started brainstorming and writing things down. And the first thing was, how in the heck do you measure winning success? Like, what does that mean? You know, I ask so many people what that means. And I think if I even ask you know, yourself, Amanda and Alex want that, what that means, we would come up with, you know, four different answers. You know, some people would say, oh, well, to me, that means, you know, graduating athletes. To me, that means, you know, winning on the field. And I would say to me, um, I, it means winning on the field. So what can we do to win on the field? Because, you know, there's literature that says if we win, kind of like we talked about in the paper, you know, we can, uh, we can increase uh, donations. We increase giving to the university. We can build facilities. Um, 
and we can hopefully get athletes the resources that they need to be successful, um, but not resources as we typically think, right? Like not building these elaborate athletic facilities, which ironically right now we haven't been able to use for three months, you know, not paying coaches, um, you know, multi-million dollar salaries, but yet how can we invest in things, you know, like athlete development specialists that are actually going to work? So that's kind of how this paper um, came about. And feel free to jump in, um, anyone else. But uh, the ADL model is interesting. It was developed at the Ladder Institute at the University of Florida. Um, but it basically consists of personal development literacies and player development literacies. So personal development literacies consist of things like nutrition, um, physical fitness, tactical and technical support, health, mental, and behavior. Whereas the professional development literacies consist of, you know, financial, media, transition, career, mental and emotional health, professionalism, and character. And essentially the model basically says that these two literacies, you know, together, will they impact life during sports? The professional development literacies impact athletic performance and the personal development literacies impact life after sports. Um, so essentially what we did with this model is we, we took the model and then ask ourselves, okay, well, what athlete personnel essentially or athlete development personnel best fit in this model? And so we started creating a list, which is the list that you actually see in the, um, in the study that we published. So essentially, based on that model, we came up with several personnel. Uh, so these people consisted of academic advisors, athletic trainers, team doctors um, or physicians, learning specialists, nutritionists, mental health professionals, um, and Alex can probably speak more to this later on, but we considered mental health professionals uh, people or individuals who were not sports psychologists. So these would be um, athlete, or sorry, uh, what am I trying to say? These would be uh, social workers. These would be um, therapists. And these would be mental performance coaches. Sorry. Um, and then we looked at physical therapists, which is the whole reason behind this study, sports psychologists, as well as strength and conditioning coaches. So that's kind of how the model ended up playing in this study. Um, also, I think it's uh, kind of cool that this study is the first study that actually utilizes this model. And we hope moving forward um, that more studies will utilize this model to help athletes. I want to talk about the method. So you talked about the types of positions you were you were really looking for. So basically, you were trying to see which institutions had these positions already on staff, correct? Yes. So we utilized. Um, well, and as you probably know, it's really hard to get people to fill out surveys. So we could have done this two ways, right? I could have sent out a survey to every athletic department in the country, you know, or at least the top, we use the athletic, or we, sorry, we use the director's cup. So I could have sent out, you know, to every institution in the country that was in the top 150 in the division one athletic director's cup, a survey and ask them, how many sports psychologists do you have? How many athletic trainers, et cetera. Um, and I might've gotten a 14% um, response rate, which would probably be about, uh, what, uh, 20 institutions. <laughs> um, so we just decided to go about this using secondary data. 
so essentially we went through, um, we utilized the director's cup to, um, to measure winning success. In our mind, that was the best way to go about doing this because as we wrote about in the paper, how do you comp compare winning success in football to winning success in track and field, to volleyball, to soccer, to swim and dive, to golf? I mean, completely, completely different. And so we utilized um, the director's cup standing so we could kind of um, better understand winning success in the athletic department as a whole. And then we went to um, the top 150 uh, staff directories of each athletic department and then, you know, pulled, literally went through, well, how many sports psychologists do they have? How many learning specialists do they have? How many athletic trainers do they have? How many strength and conditioning coaches? And that's kind of how we went about collecting the data. And obviously there's limitations to that, as we discussed in the paper. Um, um, I know, for example, University of Oregon, they outsource all or most of their mental health services. So obviously things like that weren't accounted for. Um, however, we also think that maybe this was the best way to collect the data because student athletes probably aren't aware of things that are outsourced unless they're actually referred to those, um, to those people. So that's how we went about data collection. Alex, I was going to ask you about, um, uh, I have my feelings about this too, working in, in, inside athletic departments. Uh, we see a lot of people on the directories might have, one school might call it something different. Uh, are you, have you kind of experienced that with you and your colleagues at other schools that, that maybe the, it's kind of confusing on what the title is or what that area of expertise is? Um, it seems like it's not very uniform for a lot of our positions and side athletic departments that might seem pretty common, but at another school across the country it might be something else. I mean, have you kind of experienced that from knowing people around the industry? Yeah, I think it's, our field is interesting because um, psychology and psychologist are protected terms. And so to call yourself a psychologist, you really need to be a licensed psychologist in an individual state with a doctoral degree in clinical or counseling psychology. Um, and historically, there have been, you know, different ways that people have represented themselves um, that I think have led to some confusion or at least a lack of clarity around what it is each particular specialist can do. So I think that that's part of the challenge is people have spent time and energy trying to find ways to advertise our services that make it accessible. And then coupled with that, you've had folks who... Um, are sort of expanding the scope of practice or naming themselves something that perhaps doesn't fully fit what their training is that can lead to confusion or sort of boundary blurring that I think is, is challenging for 18 to 22 year olds to digest. And I think it's also challenging for um, other staff folks within the department to digest and understand. Um, and without us being really clear as a field about what we can do and who we serve and how we serve, I think it's really hard for other folks in the departments that we work with to really understand how to best use our services. Yeah, and then uh, Amanda, I was wondering with your background and your research, have you seen this come up quite a bit as far as using, have you used directories in the past? And um, do you kind of see the same thing where it might make it challenging to identify whether someone this, the service is even offered. It's just not on the athletic staff directory, but the university might have it. Has any of your research kind of focused on those areas? Um, in a bit, yes. But it's also, it does make it challenging to see if the university has that because like has been said previously, they may call it something completely different. But often what we have found or what we kind of view it as 
if it's important to you and it's something that your athletes are going to be able to use and engage in, it's probably going to be in your staff directory. So if you have a nutritionist, you're going to put it in your staff directory. Even if it's a faculty member over a nutrition, you're going to put them on there because not only are then people able to see that you have this, you could potentially use it for prospective athletes as, oh, they have a nutritionist. Here's that person. And so it's definitely a recruiting tool as well. You're not going to leave off people. I mean, it's the internet. You have an infinite amount of space on your staff directory. So if you have it, if it's important, even if it's outsourced, I know like our athletic team doctor is someone outsourced, but they still list that person. And so if you value it and you want your athletes to engage with that person, you're probably going to put them on your website because how is the athlete going to know about it? Or even perhaps the coach. Hey listeners, a quick message and then we'll get right back to the interview. I wanted to quickly tell you that the Sports Innovation Journal is now accepting submissions. If you have or are looking for a place to publish your innovative thoughts and studies on the sports industry, then please consider the Sports Innovation Journal. We are an open access journal and our target audience is the practitioner looking for answers to the questions and problems in their job, and we want to attract and publish researchers that are identifying and studying those questions and problems. If you are interested in learning more about the journal and wanting to submit or sign up to be a reviewer, then visit the link in the episode notes or email Dr. David Pierce, the editor and director of the Sports Innovation Institute at dpierce3 at iupi.edu, dpierce3 at iupi.edu. Now let's get back to the interview. Alex, I'm, I'm curious if, um, if you see a, a study like this, kind of, do you think as a practitioner yourself, you're already, you and your colleagues already kind of saw this uh, without the empirical research side, you already kind of assumed maybe you all did have, a, uh, have something to, to offer that would help winning on the field? Um, and if, if yes or no, I mean, how do you kind of communicate this type of paper to empower other practitioners that uh, that might be trying to add their staff or build on their staff. I mean, is this something that you can take and feel comfortable taking to a superior and saying, this can help you win and we need this, and then to kind of vouch for increasing staff? Yeah, I think I personally always try to be careful with connecting myself to winning because if I take credit for winning, then I also have to take credit for losing. <laughs> um, but I think I think it's a great question. I, I do feel like this kind of research empowers us to at least have something that um, a broader variety of people will respond to, right? So I can always sit there and say like, hey, what I do is important, um, but some people need to see tangible evidence that what I'm doing is really impacting the put the bottom line, quote unquote. And so to be able to point to something and say, look, there is research that suggests having folks in my position does in fact make a difference. Um, and I think what, what the paper highlights for me sort of beyond just the sports psychologist role is how really supporting the entire student athlete makes a bigger outcome than I think, or leads to a different and better outcome than I think people often maybe give credit for, right? Like I think a lot of the attention is paid to coaches on the sideline on TV, um, you know, the different facilities we have, what sorts of fancy things we can do when we're recruiting and, and all of that stuff matters too. 
Um, but I think what really also the, the shows is that if you invest in helping student athletes become better, healthier, more well-functioning people, you're going to see results in a way that maybe you didn't originally anticipate it. And sports psychology is sort of having its heyday right now with all the raise in, in mental health awareness, which I, I think is great, but there's still more work to do. And so I think, again, this just gives us another avenue to say, you know what, here's some evidence that you can look at that suggests we, we do matter and we do contribute to something that you might also care about as a coach, right? Or you might also care about as an administrator. Um, and I think I'm, I'm very fortunate to be at a place where all of our coaches and administrators appreciate what we do um, and value the student support services roles. Um, but I think it's still relatively new compared to the landscape of sport as a whole. And so there's been so much traditionally time and, and attention paid to coaches and then strength coaches and then athletic trainers. Um, but now these other support services are having their opportunity to really illustrate their value. And, and I think that's great. You all discussed some practical implications in your paper. I'm just curious, what changes would you like to see practitioners in college athletics consider after reading your paper? Ideally, everyone would go out and hire um, a bunch of these positions. Um, but kind of what is the practical and acceptable method that you would like them to, next action step you'd like them to take out of this after they read the paper? I, I think one of the things, and it was kind of brought up earlier is you, you brought up, Travis, was, well, you know, some institutions have these services on campus. Maybe we suggest, suggest athletes utilize those services. And that's actually something that we had all discussed. Um, should we add that to the paper? And ultimately, we actually decided no, because we don't want athletic departments to use that as an excuse to not invest in athlete development. So I feel like, and my colleagues, like I said, can, can chime in if they want, but I do think it's really important to say, yeah, these resources, some of them might be available on campus, but student athletes are a special population of students and they need special people to work with them that understand them. And we know that unfortunately, and the data shows this, that faculty quite often, most of the time, do not understand athletes. Um, primary role academic advisors, there's several studies out there that show that they do not understand the student athlete population. And it's really important that we have people in the athletic department that know how to work with this population, know how to communicate with coaches and administrators uh, who can best serve the student athlete population. Um, so a uh, the practical implications, we basically, I think, all want athletic departments to invest in athlete development and realize that these people are valuable and that guess what? They can help you win. So I think one of the things that came out of this study that really surprised me, um, I've been at uh, mostly power five institutions throughout my career. And so like you, Travis, like I very rarely, you know, my student athletes don't want, right? Um, they are very fortunate, but so many do. I think one of the main things that came out of this was just the fact that so many institutions did not employ a sports psychologist or learning specialist. And to me, that was truly a travesty. Um, how do we not have these people um, to help our students? I, I truly don't understand. Whereas the data said that um, only 2% of athletic departments did not employ athletic trainers. My guess would be based on rules and regulations, those 2% that didn't employ athletic trainers obviously would outsource those services. Um, 
But it also did kind of in my mind bring to light the importance of athletic trainers. We didn't necessarily talk about this in the paper, but the fact that these people, their job is to, you know, assess and refer. And so for them, having people like learning specialists and sports psychologists, I think would be extremely important because athletic trainers are working with these athletes on a daily basis. Um, so this idea of, hey, like they're talking to me that they're, you know, struggling emotionally. Well, let me refer you to our sports psychologist. Oh, you're having problems with this class. Let me refer you to our learning specialist. So I think the fact that these positions are crucial, they're so interconnected, and that we really need to have a, a greater understanding of the role that each of these positions um positions play but you know I think we were all really excited that there was three of the positions that were significant because once again it shows that athlete development is important um, that what we do and I know you're an academic advisor Travis but what we do is is important to the overall development of people both like the ADL model states you know personally and as players and I think right now the world we're living in is so different than it was two months ago for these athletes. And so I am not disparaging programs that are able, that are fortunate enough to have like 10, 12, 14 assistant coaches. How are those assistant coaches helping athletes right now that have completely transitioned to an online learning environment that have never taken an online class in their life and they are now expected to perform in a scenario that maybe doesn't really work for them or their learning style or what they have, you know, been used to in the past. So again, so hiring people or even partnering with different, you know, members of your university community, if you're an institution like mine, like Bowling Green, you know, we don't have Arkansas money. We don't have Indiana money. We don't have Arizona money. We have like, zero money. So we have a sport performance team where they go and they talk to nutrition faculty. We have sports psychology faculty that work with athletes. And for us, it is working. Now, would the athletes, I'm sure, love to have somebody full-time dedicated in their, you know, one of the athletic department complexes? Sure. But what can we do in the meantime? And I think what Sarah said also about the athletic training piece is so important because athletic trainers are with them potentially more than anyone else for certain athletes, especially ones that have to get treatment consistently. And so they have this trust built in because I'm trusting you to help me get through these rehab exercises to get back on the field or to increase my performance. And so if you referred me to that learning specialist or if you refer me to that sports psychologist, I'm gonna listen because I trust you versus someone, you know, like a faculty member being like, oh, you seem like you're struggling. Like, have you talked to a sports psychologist? Like, who, who are you? Like, why are you all up in my business? But that athletic trainer is so central and not just to their physical body, but, you know, to that mental piece, to that learning piece. They can be that bridge, that interconnected, you know, between coaches and academic services and whomever to help that athlete really reach their maximum potential in all of these different performance areas, both, you know, athletic performance and, you know, whole, you know, body, academic, holistic performance. 
I'm curious uh, what all of your opinions are, especially you, Alex, of uh, the Big Ten um, just came out with a conference-wide agreement with the CARE app uh, to really help. It's perfect timing for this, uh, but the commissioner has been really adamant that mental health uh, has been a, is going to be a key focus for him. He's, he's our new commissioner in the Big Ten as of this year. And uh, he basically uh, announced, the Big Ten announced this, this partnership that is for student athletes can have the, the app and all the information on the CARE app, but so can full-time staff members in the athletic departments of those institutions. And so I hadn't seen really anything in that, that area, uh, that topic area, be a strategic partnership with athletics. I'm wondering if, uh, if what your kind of opinion is on that and do any of you, especially the researchers, do you see this as being a strategic partnership that might be uh, more possible whenever conferences can pool their resources together whenever you have a Bowling Green that might not be able to afford it, but what if the conference could come together and have kind of maybe a share-in part of it? Uh, would, that be, would that be suitable, in your opinion, at least a step in the right direction if you don't have anything? It obviously can't replace an in-person service, probably, but uh, how did, what was kind of your, each of your takes on when you uh, heard that? Yeah, so for me, this is sort of a nice bridge from the last question to this one, because you ask about practical implications in, the, in this. What I think this partnership did really well was provide awareness, provide access, and, and advertise. And those are the things in terms of practical implications I would be thinking about for all of the support student services, really. It's how do we make people aware of what we do? How do we advertise it in an effective way? And how do we increase access? Um, and so I think what this, this really does is bring to light that this is really important, that this is on administration's mind. I think this normalizes for student athletes that it's okay to be struggling um, and that we want you to get help and that we think this is important too. We're kind of transitioning out of the uh, old school mentality or older school mentality, if you will, of just kind of tough it out. And we're starting to think about how do we really help um, these student athletes, many of whom before coming to a university wouldn't even have access to someone like me at all or wouldn't be able to have access to an app like Calm. How do we help them start to improve their, their mental health and their mental wellness? Um, so I, I think this is a great step. Um, I think it, it shows sort of how a couple of conferences now, I started with the Pac-12 and now the Big Ten are really stepping up and, and emphasizing um, student athlete life off the field. Um, so I think it's really positive. And, and I know there are some other institutions that have done partnerships at an individual level um, that are somewhat similar. But I think coming from the conference to see that really high level support um, also gives the individual institutions a little bit more flexibility to take those resources that would have maybe been dedicated to a person um, to teach this same skill, right? Like Wisconsin has a meditation teacher I've seen. And now you can take those resources and um, either support that person with additional stuff, you know, create a meditation room, you could add additional staff, there's all sorts of creative things you can do if the conference comes in and support. Um, and so I think that, that that piece is really wonderful. And I'm hopeful that the other conferences follow suit. So I just want to recap and say thank you uh, for, for choosing the Sports Innovation Journal to submit your paper. And we're really hopeful that the practitioners latch on to it and use it coming out of COVID-19 and realizing the, the big upside. I think it's uh, incredibly smart to tie these things to winning as much as they shouldn't have to be tied as a way to get them to read or listen. Uh, this is clearly a, a good way of doing it, in my opinion, 
Thanks for being on the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Be sure to follow the Institute on Twitter at IUPUI underscore SII and let us know what you thought of this episode. If you know of an innovative business program or researcher that you think we should have on the podcast, please email me, Travis Smith, at TDS at IU.edu. And please consider the Sports Innovation Journal if you are looking to publish your new and creative ideas to move the sports industry forward together.